We are in Exodus chapter 4. Uh, this evening we left off in verse 18. Exodus 4, verse 18. So God has called Moses to go back to Egypt to confront Pharaoh, to let the children of Israel go, and it is a terrible start. It is probably the worst start imaginable as we're going to read uh, through this. And if you're Moses being called by God uh, to go back to Egypt and to have it start this way, I'm sure uh, you'd be battling uh, discouragement. And how God speaks to Moses in the midst of that is very encouraging. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the honesty of scripture, and sometimes we step out in obedience, step out in faith, and it doesn't turn out the way that we thought it would. It doesn't have that immediate result, and so we pray in the middle of the week here that you would pour out your spirit, and I pray for those that are discouraged in their own journey as they're traveling this long road of obedience and wondering where the deliverance is coming, wondering where the the breakthrough is coming, that you would speak to them. Father, we need you to speak. We are listening to you. We need to hear from you. And we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Some of you maybe have heard of Eric Little. He was a very great man of God that God used in an incredible way. His defining moment was when the 100-meter run for the Olympic Games was on Sunday. He chose to not run that run, to honor the Sabbath day. And he signed up for the 400-meter. Nobody thought that he had a chance, but he won that gold medal as a Scotsman. But a race that he's not so famous for was earlier on the first turn of the race, uh, there was a trip, as often happens in, in a race. And so he tripped and he fell, and most people would stop at that point because he really had no chance of winning this race. But Eric Little, he got up and he began to run and run and run faster and faster and faster, and he actually won that race. He ran so hard that he did injury to uh, his body, but he had a terrible start to that run, but a really strong finish. As we're looking at Moses being called by God to go back to Egypt, it's very difficult. He's not received well. There's not the results that you would think when God calls you to do something, but it's all part of God's process. God is setting the stage for even a greater work that's taking place uh, through the difficulty, through the tough start. So this is verse 18 of chapter 4. So Moses went and returned to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Please let me go and return to my brethren who are in Egypt and see whether they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, Go in peace. God had met Moses, given him such a strong call. I am that I am is sending you, and Moses obeys, even though he has apprehensions. Now, the Lord said to Moses and Midian, go return to Egypt, for all the men who sought your life are dead. Moses obviously is afraid, afraid about those that want to kill him if they're still there in Egypt, but all of these men have passed away. And this is encouraging as you walk with the Lord. You may have those that come against you that in a sense kind of want to do you in. Just keep walking with the Lord and most likely you'll outlive them. Most likely they'll just go away over time. Time is on the side of integrity. Just 
Keep serving the Lord. Keep being faithful to the things that God has. In a sense, outlive your critics. Then Moses took his wife and his sons and set them on a donkey, and he returned to the land of Egypt, and Moses took the rod of God in his hand. He's known this rod as a shepherd, but now he's going to know this rod as a leader. God is going to use this rod mightily. And the Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you do all those wonders before Pharaoh, which I have put in your hand. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn. So I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. But if he refuses to let him go, indeed, I will kill your son, your firstborn. And that's exactly what will take place as we continue to study the book of Exodus. God is warning Moses that this is going to be difficult. That Pharaoh's not going to have a warm reception to this request to let the Israelites go. Now, this is one of the most obscure verses in the Bible. If you're just reading through this chapter and you come along, verse 24, and it came to pass on the way at the encampment that the Lord met him and sought to kill him. Isn't that just out of the blue? I mean, go back and read chapter four, God calling him, I want you to go, and he's obedient, and he's headed to Egypt, he's camped on the way, and the Lord shows up, and it's not a friendly, and God seeks specifically to kill Moses, and you're going, why in the world is God seeking to kill Moses? And we find verse 25, then Zipporah, his wife, took a sharp stone and cut off the foreskin of her son and cast it at Moses' feet and said, surely you are a husband of blood to me. This is a bad day in marriage right here. You know, if your wife ever says, you're, you're a bloody husband to me, you know, it's probably not a very good day, right? Zipporah gets the issue. She understands why the Lord is in opposition to Moses, that Moses had never circumcised his son. He wasn't right spiritually before the Lord, even though he's walking in obedience. And before he goes and confronts Pharaoh, God wants his household to be set in order. God had spoken to Abraham that him and his descendants would be circumcised as an outward sign of their inward commitment to the Lord. So this is humbling. This is humbling as we step out in serving the Lord, as we step out in steps of faith, that God wants us to be completely surrendered to him. That God wants our, our household to be in a, in a place of, of order. Notice the, the way the text reads is for Pharaoh, it's going to cost him his firstborn. And here, Moses hasn't dealt with his own son. That his own son needs this spiritual leadership. That his own son needs to be circumcised. And for us, we kind of go, we don't really understand this. You know, this is kind of far removed from us from, as Gentile believers. But this was a sign of the covenant between God and the children of Israel. And this was really important for Moses to take this leadership inside of uh, his family. And Zipporah knew it right away, as oftentimes our wives do. They know exactly what the issue is. And she's saying, you need to get this right before the Lord. So... He let him go. The Lord released Moses. Then she, then she said, you are a husband of blood because of their circumcision. Then the text just moves on. Like this is an evening in the life of Moses, right? 
But it really does speak of the importance of being surrendered uh, to the Lord and, and serving and leading in our own families. In verse 27, then the Lord said to Aaron, go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he went and met him on the mountain of God and kissed him. Remember, Moses is feeling inadequate because he stuttered and so he asked that God would send Aaron to be his mouthpiece and God granted that request. So the Lord speaks to Aaron and Aaron comes and meets Moses in the wilderness. So Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord which he had sent him and all the signs which he had commanded him. Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all of the elders of the children of Israel. So now they arrive in Egypt. The Israelites are slaves. They get all of the elders together to communicate all that the Lord has showed Moses. And Aaron spoke all the words which the Lord had spoken to Moses. So you can see how Moses is, is feeling insecure, feeling inadequate in his speech, and he's hiding behind Aaron. He's giving all of the information to Aaron, and then Aaron is speaking it to the elders of Israel. The response to this, so the people believed, and when they heard that the Lord had visited the children of Israel, and that he had looked on their affliction, then they bowed their heads and worshiped. So they receive the word, and they get excited. They believe it, and they worship. God is going to deliver us. But what they don't anticipate is how difficult the deliverance is going to be. I mean, put yourself in their shoes. Here comes Moses. He's showing these, these miraculous signs. God's spoken to him from the burning bush. They're probably assuming that, well, he's just going to go in and knock on Pharaoh's door, and Pharaoh's like, you know, I'm kind of tired of all this free labor. Why don't you guys just go ahead and go? You guys can go to the promised land, go to Canaan. It, you know, yeah, this, this sounds like a, a great idea. And I think oftentimes in our lives as well, we hear the word of God and we believe it and we worship the Lord, but we fail to see the process that's going to take place. And the process is usually painful, and we're going to see one of the reasons why God has it go down this way is he's revealing himself to the children of Israel. He's revealing himself through the pain. He's revealing himself uh, through the difficulty. The parable of the sower as the word of God goes out into soil, which represents the condition of the heart. One of the conditions is rocky soil, where the word takes root, but it doesn't go deep. And so when the trials come, when the heat comes, then it withers up and doesn't bear, bear fruit. And so as the word of God gets planted into our hearts and we believe it and we receive it, we want to be committed through the long haul. We want to say, Lord, I'm trusting you even when it gets difficult and I'm not seeing the results. So chapter five, afterward Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, thus says the Lord God of Israel, let my people go that they may hold a feast to me in the, worship, in the wilderness. So this is where the request begins. Let us go to the wilderness to be able to worship. And Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I don't know the Lord, nor will I let Israel go. Pharaoh's gonna get to know the Lord whether he likes it or not, right? He's saying, who's the Lord? I don't know the Lord. I don't know the God of Israel that you're, talking about, and why would I let Israel go? So they said, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go three days journey into the desert 
and sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with sword. Then the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people from their work? Get back to your labor. You're stalling the production of work. And the Pharaoh said, look, the people of the land are many now, and you may let them rest from their labor. So the same day, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and of their officers, saying, you shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks as before. Let them go gather straw for themselves. (laughs) If it's not hard enough to make bricks in the hot sun in the Middle East and in Egypt, now they get no supply of straw. They're going to have to go find their own straw while still maintaining the same quota of bricks every day. So here's Moses living his life. He's 80 years old, doing the sheep thing. He's done it for 40 years. God speaks to him. I want you to go confront Pharaoh. Oh, by the way, God, I can't get through a sentence without stuttering. I'm not sure you're sending the right guy. Okay, I'll go. Gets one day into the road trip and God tries to kill him. (laughs) Gets over that, thankfully to his wife. Gets the circumcision thing taken care of. Has a good reception from the elders and the people. But then he goes to Pharaoh and Pharaoh's like, you guys are a bunch of punks coming in here saying you need to let the Israelites go. I've got another idea. Now you guys are making your own bricks by finding your own straw. And then we see how difficult things get even more so. Like quadruple difficult. Verse 10, and the taskmasters of the people... And their officers went out and spoke to the people, saying, Thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go get for yourselves straw where you can find it. Yet none of your work will be reduced. So the people were scattered abroad throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble instead of straw. So they're all sent throughout Israel looking for straw, or throughout Egypt. And the taskmasters forced them to hurry, saying, Fulfill your work, your daily quota as when there was straw. Also the officers of the children of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had sent over them, were beaten and were asked, why have you not fulfilled your work in making brick both yesterday and today as before? So there were Israelite officers that were in charge when the quotas weren't met, then they're being beaten. Then the officers of the children of Israel came and cried out to Pharaoh saying, why are you dealing thus with your servant? There is no straw given to your servants. And they say to us, make brick. And indeed, your servants are beaten, but the fault is in your own people. But he said, you are idle, idle. Therefore, you say, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Oh, you must have too much time on your hands because you're asking to go worship out in the wilderness. Therefore, verse 18, go now and work. For no straw shall be given you, yet you shall deliver the quota of bricks. And the officers of the children of Israel saw that they were in trouble. After it was said, you shall not reduce any bricks from your daily quota. Then as they came out from Pharaoh, they met Moses and Aaron, who stood there to meet them. And they said to them, let the Lord look on you and judge, because you have made us abhorrent in the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants to put a sword in their hand to kill us. (laughs) Moses, Aaron, it's all your fault. Why didn't you stay with the Midianites? Why didn't you stay out in the wilderness with your sheep? 
Why did you have to come in here and cause trouble? There's a really big application for us in our lives. When we're seeking deliverance from bondage, our flesh and the enemy are gonna crack down double time. So for instance, you say, man, I really have been convicted in this area of my life that I've been in bondage to and begin to seek the Lord that he's gonna bring deliverance in your life, freedom in your life, victory in your life. Don't be surprised if all of a sudden it gets more difficult. Why? Because you're trying to take territory for the Lord in your life. You're, you're looking for God to bring deliverance. In those times in our lives when we're like, I'm completely content with this area of sin and defeat and bondage in my life, don't expect any resistance. Our flesh is gonna be like, hey, stay there all day long. <laughs> Enjoy that. This is a peace arrangement. Satan's like, good. I've got you right where you're at, right where I want you. you you're not gonna take any territory that belongs to the Lord. You may be going on this marriage retreat in a few weeks, and you're saying, we want to invest in our marriage. We want to take territory in our marriage that the enemy and our flesh has had. Well, guess what? It's going to be hard. You should expect some spiritual battle as you prepare for that retreat. We're going to pray for you as you go on to that retreat. You don't know how many times I've heard on a marriage retreat, husbands and wives fighting, trying to get to the marriage retreat, right? Because the enemy's going, look, they're about ready to invest in their marriage, right? They're desiring breakthrough. They're not content with the status quo in the midst of, of uh, their marriage. You know, it may be a battle with lust or a battle with sexual sin and saying, I'm really gonna press in and take hold of this victory that God has promised to me. Well, you can bet in that moment that your flesh is not gonna be happy. Your flesh is gonna say, okay, now you're gonna make your own straw. Satan's gonna try to come after you and say, okay, now I'm really gonna make your life difficult. But remember what James writes in the book of James. He says, submit to God, surrender to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. You're in the right place. Don't withdraw your registration from the marriage retreat, right? Don't withdraw your registration from, from the women's retreat. Hold your ground and say, okay, it's gonna be a process. It's gonna be difficult. The victory is coming, and through the pain, through the difficulty, God is gonna reveal himself to me. Could God have delivered the children of Israel in a moment, in a sneeze, in a microsecond? He could have, no problem. But instead, there's this grueling, long process where Pharaoh hardens his heart, God hardens Pharaoh's heart, and there's this power struggle, which we know God's gonna win, and the Lord does win, but at the end of that, the children of Israel know God in a greater way. They've seen God do all of these miraculous signs. If God would have just delivered in a moment, they wouldn't have seen the water turn to blood. They wouldn't have seen the locusts. They wouldn't have seen all that we're going to study and, and witness uh, together. But know and understand that when you're looking for God to bring victory where there's been areas of bondage, there's going to be a war. There's going to be a battle and there's going to be a fight. And submit to the Lord, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So here's Moses' discouragement. And I love the honesty and the transparency of Scripture. 
So Moses returned to the Lord and said, Lord, why have you brought trouble on this people? Why is it, why, why is it, why is it you have sent me? I got it. For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people. Neither have you delivered your people at all. (laughs) Moses has the relationship with the Lord that he can come to him with his questions. He can come to him with his discouragements. He can come to him with his whys. The first why is why have you brought trouble? God, I thought that your calling was gonna bring deliverance for the people of Israel, but it's brought trouble to the people of Israel. And sometimes from our perspective, it feels that way. God, I stepped out in obedience and what you're calling me to in my family and my singleness, but ever since I did that, it seems like it's brought trouble onto those that I care about. He has the honesty to ask the question, God, why did you send me? Have you ever asked that question as something the Lord has called you to do? God, I know it was you. I know you wanted me to go down this road, but it's sure not turning out the way that I thought it would. Why did you send me? What kind of trick did, did you play on me? And then he has the boldness to simply ask, neither have you delivered your people at all. I think Moses really expected the deliverance to be immediate. And he gets here and things aren't going well and Pharaoh cracks down and he's like, God, why haven't you brought the deliverance? Why haven't you brought the freedom from Egypt at this place? Church, we want immediate results, don't we? We do. We live in such a convenient society. Man, I love it. It's nice, right? Can heat stuff up in the microwave? Holy cow. Can get some really good coffee pretty quick, right? Unless you're in line at Dutch Brothers, it's a little bit longer. But it's worth it. It's good, right? We just think that there's always going to be just these immediate results that that take place. And if it means six months of waiting upon the Lord, six months of suffering, six months of work, six years of, of turmoil, I don't, I don't know if I'm up for that, you know? I don't know if I want that kind of deliverance. That's, that, that's way, way too hard, right? And that's where Moses is at and where the children of Israel are at, and it's gonna be worth it. It's gonna be worth it. So if you're in that place of discouragement, one, be encouraged. Moses was discouraged. And God meets him in this discouragement. Notice what God says to him in chapter six. I think there's a lot of application for us. Then the Lord said to Moses, in your discouragement of not seeing the results that we desire is listen for the voice of God. Listen for the voice of God in pages of scripture. Listen for the voice of God through brothers and sisters in Christ. Listen for the still, small voice of God in prayer. We need to hear the voice of God in the midst of of discouragement. Keep reading the word. Hold on to to the, the written word. So the Lord said to Moses, now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand, he will let them go. And with a strong hand, he will drive them out of his land. Just wait and see what I'm gonna do. There's gonna be a strong hand of deliverance that's gonna humble Pharaoh. And God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. 
as God Almighty, but my name, Lord, was not known to them. He reminds Moses of who he is, and that's what we need to be reminded of. Here we are, God calls us. We're trying to be faithful to what he's told us to do. It's a terrible start. We've tripped from the get-go. And yet, who's the Lord? He's the I am. And how God has been faithful to generations past, the Abrahams, the Isaacs, and the Jacob. And God reminds Moses, I've given you the special revelation of my name, of my character, the Lord. I am that I am. Hold on to that. And we have the special revelation of who God is through the cross of Jesus Christ. And so we hold on to who God is. And this has to be by faith in moments of discouragement. God, this is what my feelings are saying. This is what the results are saying. But this is who I know you to be. You're faithful. You're gracious. You're kind. You're truthful. And I'm anchoring myself in your character as my father. In verse 4, I've established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land of their pilgrim, in which they were strangers. So he says, remember who I am, but remember my promises. Remember my covenant. The covenant is contract. God had made a contract with the children of Israel to give them the promised land. And we need to remember the promises of God. So we remember the character of God, but we also remember the promises of God. That God has covenanted with us in the new covenant of the blood of Jesus to give us an eternal home. Wasn't it wonderful to sing of the hope of heaven tonight in worship? To think about the reality of heaven, of forever being with the Lord. So we hold on to that promise of eternal life. We hold on to the promise that Jesus will never leave us. That he will never forsake us. We hold on to the promise that God is working his plan in the mess. He works all things together for good to those that love God and are called according to his purposes. We hold on to his promise of peace, that peace that surpasses understanding. So who God is and the promises that he has given to us. God says, I've also heard the groaning of the children of Israel whom the Egyptians keep in bondage and I have remembered my covenant. God heard the groanings of the children of Israel over this long period. And God hears your prayers. God hears your, your groanings.